Welcome back, everyone, to Chipstock Investor. We had a very busy earnings week, but today we are going to cover KLA and LAM, two of the Fab Five wafer fab equipment companies, ST Microelectronics, Intel, and Enphase. Let's first talk about KLA Core. Yeah, Casey, one of the Fab Five, a stock we started buying a couple of months ago. And of course, the Fab Five, that is ASML Holding, Applied Materials, LAM Research, which we'll get to here in a few moments, Tokyo Electron, and KLA Core. By far, the five largest semiconductor manufacturing equipment companies as measured by revenue and market cap. Total revenue for KLA for the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2023, $2.35 billion down 3% from last quarter and 5% a year ago. Earnings per share, $4.97, and on an adjusted basis, $5.40. Yeah, Casey, this was a pretty good earnings report. We could see the adjusted earnings per share only down 7% year over year. So KLA holding up pretty well in the midst of this downturn for wafer fab equipment. Some of their updated expectations for 2023, a 20% reduction in wafer fab equipment spending from the 95 billion peak that was spent in 2022. So a pretty sizable downturn here, but KLA easily beating the competition as they manage this downturn. Their outlook for Q1 of fiscal 2024, this is Q3 of, of the calendar year 2023, the quarter that will end in September. The revenue expected to be $2.35 billion at the midpoint and adjusted earnings per share at the midpoint, $5.35, plus or minus $0.60. Cents. So we could see the company's revenue flatline from this last quarter to the next, but we could start to see an uptick in adjusted earnings per share for the company. As we've been expecting the first half of 2023, calendar year 2023, pretty ugly for the wafer fab equipment space, but a rebound starting to set in the second half of the calendar year. One of the reasons that this company is not expecting to see a big loss in coming quarters is something that we talked about recently regarding R&D for chip makers. And the CEO of KLA called this out in the earnings call, companies will continue to spend money in research and development of new products. If they don't, they will fall behind. And so even though chip companies are not producing as many chips currently, they are still spending a lot of money on wafer fab equipment so that they can produce these leading edge chips in the future. Yeah, Casey, important point there. This is very similar to the story at Cadence Design, which we covered last week, as well as Synopsys, the two leaders in EDA, electronic design automation software. KLA, not a software company. Their equipment focuses on process and diagnostic control, PDC, and very important equipment. Basically, it measures stuff at the microscopic nanoscale. And as more complex chips continue to get researched and then move into the beginning stages, early stages of development, Measuring stuff doesn't sound so sexy, but as you begin to move into that early stage of actual manufacturing, you have to measure it. You have to make sure that what you've designed 
is what actually comes out of the fab. So important company that has seen a lot of growth the last few years as we move into this new sort of golden era for semiconductors. And it looks like that is going to continue as a lot more research and development gets poured into this. And management also mentioned that revenue from their unpatterned wafer inspection and metrology products used in silicon wafer and photo mass manufacturing expected to significantly outperform the wafer fab equipment market because of the vertical infrastructure that many companies are adopting that is also helping with the performance of KLA. AKA KC AI, AI, AI. We'll talk a little bit more about that with LAM. We briefly covered that last week, but some extra comments that we thought were worth calling out. These very advanced chips, a lot more of them needed for AI training. It's just another, I guess you could say, anecdotal reason that chip development continues to advance that's trickling down into KLA in a very real, tangible financial way. One other area, of course, is automotive and industrial applications. Lots of money getting invested into more mature manufacturing as well to address especially automotive electrification of vehicles, the electrification of everything, advanced driver assist systems, a lot of uses for these measurement machines for KLA. So fantastic quarter. And Casey, I'll just point one more thing out here on valuation. The stock is not as cheap. We don't think as cheap as it was just a couple of months ago when we started making the purchase. But based on this next year's expected earnings, we think the market is sandbagging a bit. It looks like KLA trading for about 20 times forward earnings. But if we start to see a more robust rebound in purchases of equipment headed into calendar year 2024, we think the stock suddenly looks a lot cheaper than that. One that, that we purchased and might add to, again, here sometime in the back half of calendar year 2023. Let's move on to LAM Research, another wafer fab equipment company. So earnings report for LAM was not ideal, to say the least. Revenue was down 31% year over year and 17% down quarter over quarter. Earnings per share, 32% down from the year prior, but only 1% from the last quarter. Nick, this doesn't sound positive, but is there light at the end of the tunnel for LAM Research, the second company in our Fab Five? Yes, uh, Casey, one that we have not purchased. We own ASML, Applied Materials, and KLA of the Fab Five, but LAM has steadily moved up our list and not because of that 70% stock rebound so far this year alone, but more because it looks like the company has a few things going for it that could actually lead to some outperformance of the industry over the next three to five years. First, the immediate term outlook for the quarter that will end in September, revenue expected to be 3.4 billion. It was just 3.2 billion in the last quarter. So it looks like LAM finally starting to see a sequential increase in revenue. So interesting, KLA expecting a flat line basically in revenue last quarter to the next. LAM research finally maybe a little bit of a bump up in revenue. 
And that could trickle down in a very meaningful way in earnings per share, could be as high as $6.57 on a gap basis. Uh, that is a significant jump from the $5.97 just reported in the last quarter. It looks like Lamb all of a sudden in all out rebound mode starting in Q3 of calendar year 2023. As you probably can imagine, AI is playing a big role in Lamb Research's rise. This company gave a lot of credit to AI in their earnings call and for their outlook. The CEO of Lamb Research said in his prepared remarks that advanced AI servers are expected to drive 1 billion to 1.5 billion of additional wafer fab equipment investment. And so these companies such as ASML, Applied Materials, Tokyo Electron, KLA, and LAM will be the ones that benefit from this spending. That was an interesting quote, Casey, and significant. So for every 1% of AI, and mind you, when the word AI gets thrown around right now, what is actually being talked about is generative AI, which is really just one type of AI in existence. So for every 1% market share increase in Gen AI servers, up to $1.5 in investment, estimates point to that market share going from 9% to 15%. So that could be up to $9 billion in extra wafer fab equipment investment between now and the next two to three years. We just said in the little KLA bit, the industry looking at $70, $75 billion in revenue this year during the downturn. So if you add an extra $9 billion in revenue for this segment of the industry, just from generative AI alone, Lamb Research, one of those Fab Five, they could pick up a very large chunk of that revenue in the next two to three years, just from one application. Again, that being generative AI. We currently do not have a position in Lamb Research. Is this a good opportunity to buy this? stock? Casey, I think so. This one has moved towards the top of our current buy list. A couple months ago, I said Lamb's been on that buy list for a long time. We've never bought it, but it's steadily moved to the top here. Some interesting things going on. There are particular parts of the wafer fab equipment space where Lamb has a dominant role. We haven't referenced this chart in a bit, but it's one that Applied Materials republished during some of their recent presentations. You can see LAM Research in green on this equipment type. You can see big dominant player in etch, in the etching process of the wafers. And then on the far right, you see that really skinny column, ECD and PDC. As we move into more three-dimensional chips, architectures getting stacked on top of each other. This is most notable in some of the most advanced memory chips out there, which are getting plugged into these AI servers as just one application. When you start stacking chips on top of each other, you need to have some way to have the power flow through all of those different layers. And so you have these things called through silicon vias or TSV. Think of it as like little tiny holes drilled through the layers of the chip filled with copper. And then the power can flow through that copper and be distributed to all the different layers of the memory chip. 
that's one of the most prominent applications right now at this moment for 3D IC, 3D integrated circuits. LAM has a dominant market share or a 100% market share for certain types of equipment in this space. So that's the big chunks of green in the segment. This could be a reason LAM is able to outperform some of its peers in the Fab Five in the coming years. So the stock, not exactly the cheapest out there on a one-year forward basis, over 20 times earnings. Again, we think this could be a sandbag on the markets part, but if LAM really does see some more pronounced rebound in its business headed into 2024, this valuation could suddenly actually look a whole heck of a lot cheaper than how it appears. We've avoided it thinking that the memory chip market was going to obliterate LAM, and it did, as you pointed out, big year-over-year decreases again in revenue and earnings, but the tide's starting to shift here. Again, this one's moved towards the top of our buy now list for us personally. Now for Intel. This company was surprising in their earnings report. Their revenue was down 15% year over year to 12.9 billion. Earnings per share was 35 cents versus negative 11 cents last year and adjusted earnings per share 13 cents, which is down the 54% year over year. Free cash flow for the first six months of 2023 is negative 12.3 billion. They have 24 billion in cash and short-term investments and 49 billion dollars in debt. Nick, these are terrible numbers. How is this not that bad? On an earnings per share basis, Intel flipped back to positive territory. Obviously, free cash flow is still deeply in the red, and for us, that's our metric that we care about more than earnings. Different video, different topic for a different time. But the earnings per share, positive earnings per share was fantastic. This was fantastic news. It looks like some of Intel's work to right-size its business and get itself refocused again on what matters most, finally starting to set in. I think when Pat Gelsinger came in, the chip industry was still at a peak or approaching a peak. And we don't think they really got that serious about getting things right until the downturn hit. And so in the last six to 12 months, some more drastic actions were taken. We did that video update a few weeks ago on the manufacturing business. Personally, still would love to see Intel spin that off to get some even more pronounced rebound and get the businesses separate from each other so that design can focus on design and manufacturing can focus on manufacturing and the world can have better options available especially in the manufacturing front where there's just a huge need for advanced semiconductor manufacturing that's not in Taiwan. At any rate, that's not the situation presently. So Casey, let's maybe talk about some of the business unit revenue trends for Q2 and what's driving some of the positivity here for Intel. Client Computing Group, $6.8 which was up from $5.8 billion last quarter. Data Center and AI, $4 billion, which is basically flat from last quarter. Network and Edge, $1.4 billion, very similar again to last quarter. Mobileye sits at $454 million, which it was at $458 last quarter. But this is where we see some growth. Intel Foundry Services. 232 million in Q2, 
up from 118 million. Now, this is a 307% year over year growth for this portion of the business. Is this due to their shift in how they modeled this section of the business, the foundry services? No, I don't think so, Casey. I don't think that has really set in yet. That's going to be a multi year process as they separate manufacturing and really focus on driving profitability for foundry services. But as you point out, this is still a very small segment, obviously just a few hundred million dollars in a quarter, not exactly going to move the needle in a big way for Intel. However, this is the area Intel has hung its future on is this foundry services, opening up its manufacturing capabilities to, to fabulous chip designers. So some interesting developments in Q2. We still don't have a big giant customer announcement for Intel Foundry Services yet. However, on Intel 18A or 18 Angstrom, think of that as a two nanometer manufacturing node for Samsung and TSMC, the equivalent of that. They did say Ericsson is going to partner with them on their 5G infrastructure chips on this. This is something down the road second half of 2024 or into 2025. So in the meantime, we still like our Fab Five, our Applied Materials, our LAM Researches, our especially ASML holding for this stuff as Intel still has to make a lot of investments between now and then to get these manufacturing nodes up and running. But nevertheless, progress there. In addition to that, in July, they announced that Boeing and Northrop Grumman will join Ramp C, along with IBM, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. So Ramp C, Rapid Assurance Microelectronic Prototype-C commercial. This is Department of Defense initiative launched in 2021 to get U.S.-based fabs and ecosystem up and running so that companies that design and develop chips for the U.S. market have a U.S.-based supply chain to fall back on. Some interesting things there, also some partnership announcements with IFS on this front with MediaTek and ARM on the chip design side. So bear in mind here, as promising as it looked, IFS is still going to be very volatile from one quarter to the next. This is still not a robust business, but it does look like some actual real progress is being made on this front to make this a fantastic business if it were its own standalone entity. Let's back up to the client computing group for just a minute, Nick. This has had a significant rebound. It was down 38% year over year last quarter, and now it's down only 12% year over year. Similar to that is the data center and AI, which was down 39% year over year last quarter, and now is only down 15%. What is driving this very solid rebound? Yeah, Casey, so it looks like the bottom is in for Intel, which is probably fantastic news for AMD, who reports on Tuesday. So all of that work that Intel and AMD and NVIDIA and everybody that plays in the consumer electronics space, PCs, smartphones, so Qualcomm in there as well, this could also maybe possibly be positive for Qualcomm. All that work to reduce inventory levels has started to pay off. We've hit bottom. And now we're starting to get a sequential increase. 
Something similar for the server market, especially the non-generative AI server market, still some softness in there, but starting to look like by Q3, Q4, we're going to start getting some sequential quarter over quarter growth. So good news for Intel as they start trying to rebuild their absolutely decimated profit margins. Last quarter, there was some news on the Tunnel Falls quantum computing chip. Has there been any updates on that in this quarter? Uh, of course, it was briefly mentioned by Mr. Gelsinger. Not exactly the buzzword like AI, but quantum computing, a lot of investors think that is going to happen sooner than later. I'm not so sure it was admitted on the call that this is a test chip. So please bear that in mind. This is not in mass production. Quantum computing is not on the cusp of widespread commercialization. We still think there's a long ways to go before this ever takes over as some leading force in the computing technology space. Casey, I'm going to just maybe make a side point here on this Tunnel Falls chip. So thanks, Sangram on the channel recommended a video for us to watch from Anirudh Devgan, the CEO of Cadence Design, talking at Berkeley Engineering. He was talking about the future of silicon-based computing, silicon chips. A student asked, what's my future in this industry going to look like? And Devgon basically saying he's 25 to 30 years of rapid silicon electronics scaling. So first transistor scaling over the next 10 to 12 years, getting from billions of transistors per chip to a trillion plus transistors per chip. That's 10 to 12 years. 3D IC or 3D architecture, we briefly mentioned memory chip stacking. That's another 10 years on top of that. And then beyond that, as these chips, this next wave of chip innovation starts to mature, maybe another 10 years of software optimization on that. And then maybe after that, then we start looking at things like quantum computing as, as driving the next wave. So some people think maybe 10 years until widespread commercialization of quantum computing Maybe that's the case, but it's probably not going to take over as like the primary driver of chip innovation in 10 years time. So just bear that in mind. If you're looking for a way to bet on quantum computing, Intel, Tunnel Falls chip, maybe it is, but don't expect this to be this huge driver of growth and profitability anytime soon. I have to ask, Nick, we've definitely not invested in Intel up until this point. This has been something that we have stayed far away from. Is it time now to jump into Intel and purchase this stock? Last week, I shocked you. I did a Twitter Spaces with our friend Simon Erickson at Seven Investing, and he was more bearish than I was on Intel stock. And I shocked him, and I think you overheard. I said, maybe on a scale of 1 to 100 is Intel a buy. I stuck it at a 50, which is a big departure from just a few months ago. That being said, if we were to bet on an Intel rebound, it would be a very small position. We still think this company has a long road ahead of it to full, maybe let's not even call it full recovery. The company needs to make a complete transformation. That is very difficult to do. It looks like some sort of transformation is well underway finally. And so it's on our watch list, but it's certainly not at the top of our watch list. We still see a lot of chip stocks out there that look like a great buy right now. They don't need to transform their business. 
they've already been making gradual transformation for years. So that's why I stick it at a 50 on a scale of a one to 100. If you wanted to bet on the rebound, just bear in mind Intel's still in a deep hole. Invest accordingly if you decide to at all. Fair enough. Let's move on to ST Microelectronics. Going through the numbers for ST Microelectronics, the revenue was $4.3 billion, up 12.7% year over year. Net income, $1 billion, 15.5% year over year growth. And earnings per share at $1.06, which is up 15% year over year. Some of these numbers are either flat or a decrease from quarter over quarter but still up year over year, as mentioned. Nick, what were the growth drivers for ST Microelectronics in this last quarter? Yes, and Casey, it looks like slight quarter over quarter growth in the cards for Q3 2023. So this company definitely slowing down significantly, but still outpacing its peers, and it all has to do with electric vehicles. So earlier AI Let's pivot to EVs, EVs, EVs here for ST Micro. Automotive was definitely talked about during the earnings call. And the analyst from UBS pointed out the ST Microelectronics had a 34% year over year growth in automotive. And he pointed out that NXP, Renaissance, and others, possibly like Microchip, were posting much less in the way of revenue growth in that area. So his question was, why exactly is that? Nick, maybe you can explain why ST Microelectronics has had such strong revenue growth in automotive over the last year compared to its peers. Casey, I liked how you just said the analyst from UBS. Not brave enough to practice your French? Me neither. It was a great question. And I think this helps us understand two things. So the first, how the automotive market is roughly chopped up because there are a lot of different kinds of chips that go into an automobile. And there's two primary areas where ST Micro is really shining. The first is advanced driver assist systems, ADAS, on path to full autonomy. And ST Micro has a very rich portfolio of microcontrollers for this market that address the higher end ADAS. So like level three and level four advanced driver assist, which means those chips cost more per unit versus like NXP microcontrollers, Renesas, another top microcontroller. I like how you threw in microchip in their KC as well, which we'll report on later here in earnings season. So richer portfolio of advanced driver assist systems, ST micro management pointed out Mobileye, a top customer here, the leader in advanced driver assist systems. And then the second part of the portfolio that they address within the automotive industry chip space is power. So ST Micro and On Semi are providers of power chips, especially silicon carbide. It's actually ST Micro and On Semi that are currently the emerging leaders here. I know a lot of people also are looking to Wolf Speed. But that's not a profitable company. They're actually not a silicon carbide pure play. They also have some gallium nitride business as well that's getting beat up pretty good by the downturn in mobile and smartphones. The silicon carbide in this robust power business is not an area that Renaissance and NXP 
plays in, but it's a high growth market. Of course, you probably know if you're interested in ST Micro that STM is a supplier to Tesla. They helped develop some of the silicon carbide chips that went into the Model 3 a few years ago. So this is really a fantastic business playing in sort of the two primary pillars of growth for the automotive market, ADAS and power supply for electrification. Like many of our uh, the other companies that we cover, this company has some lofty goals. They announced a agreement with France and Global Foundries that was approved by the European Commission for a new manufacturing facility in France and also a facility which will be a joint venture with Sun and Optoelectronics in China so that they will be able to support the electric vehicle market within Asia, which, as we know, is a rapidly growing market. Yes, excellent points there, Casey. The company looking to achieve $20 billion in revenue within the next few years. They're at $17.3 billion, maybe not ridiculously high growth, but this is a stock that I think often gets overlooked. NXP, semiconductors just a little bit further north, based in the Netherlands, gets a lot of attention. But ST Micro, we think, positioned nicely to address some maybe slightly higher growth markets within automotive and also renewable power. Obviously, energy self-sufficiency, a huge goal for the European continent right now, given the war in Ukraine. So ST Micro, an interesting business that if it's not on your radar, we think it should be. If it's NXPI that you focus on or on semi for us here, STM, ST Micro has a foot in both camps, competes in the microcontroller market where NXP and Renesas and microchip plays, but also in the power market, a foot there competes against on and some others. So this is a cool business and the stock, honestly, Casey looks quite cheap on a one year forward basis less than 13 times earnings. The market factoring in this sequential flatlining that we're starting to see in revenue, it looks like the downturn for the overall chip market is finally starting to throttle back ST Micro's growth. But if you look out into 2024 and 2025, shares look cheap. So this is a prime candidate that investors that want growth and dividend income from, this is one that you would want to look at for your semiconductor portion of your portfolio. Okay, time to talk about Enphase. And this is a company that we recently added to our portfolio right before earnings. Nick, tell me more about Enphase. By now, you may have seen the nice year-over-year growth Enphase reported. $711 million in revenue compared to just $530 million in Q2 2022. Profit margin expansion across the board, gap earnings per share just slightly over doubled from a year over year basis. We can't emphasize this enough. It's the future that matters more when investing in stocks. Yes, we did take a very small initial position in Enphase ahead of earnings. And we're glad it was tiny, a tiny position just to get started at first, because we all knew that this future downturn was coming and it's suddenly here. So the Q3 2023 outlook, revenue just 550 to $600 million. So a big sequential decrease. And then based on the company's profit margin, 
guidance, a little bit of tax credit from the Inflation Reduction Act and tax rates, looking at about 65 cents earnings per share compared to 80 cents in Q3 last year on an adjusted basis, 98 cents roughly compared to $1.25 last year. The company well positioned for this downturn, 1.8 billion in cash and short-term investments, only just shy of 1.3 billion in debt. But the downturn is here. It's probably going to last at least through the end of 2023, if not into 2024, as the solar market gets hit fairly hard in North America because of all of those interest rate hikes the Federal Reserve has been doing since early in 2022. As you can see from this infographic, North America is the largest portion of Enphase's market share. And by your estimate, Nick, it sounds like California makes up a pretty decent sized chunk of the North American share. So how is that affecting this company's growth potential? Yeah, this is an interesting dynamic, Casey, because there was a ton of worry about some changes in California about tax credits and what residential customers could get back in tax credits and what they could sell back to utility companies in California if they installed a solar array, a battery pack in the house somewhere to store solar for off-peak off time usage. But it's interesting, in the earnings call, it was actually not California that was the big issue. What was actually called out is as the biggest issue within North America, within the U.S., were what had been up until late 2022, some of the fastest growing states like Texas and Florida, as we have that population migration to the Sunshine Belt. Peak revenue from there was Q4 2022. And then in California, you have NEM 3.0 net energy metering. There was some worry that the transition from 2.0 to 3.0 would cause some hiccups in the sell-through. Remember, Enphase's business model is they buy the chips to, to build their microinverters, and those microinverters are those little devices that get installed with each solar panel versus some of their competitors, the string inverters, that you just get one installed that controls the whole solar panel array. There was going to be some negative impact on the California business from these new metering rules. This is Enphase's CEO. Our financial analysis shows that for a cash system, homeowners can expect a bill offset between 70% and 90% under this NEM 3.0 and pay back between five and seven years. We think installers, remember that's who Enphase actually sells the inverters to, can effectively sell these economics to consumers. So it looks like California is going to be fine, but the downturn in the North American market is here. It's going to last for a few more quarters, a few more longer term things to keep in mind. The U.S. solar market finally in a downturn after three years of growth. However, residential solar only about four to five percent penetration in the United States. Lots of long term drivers here. Of course, the Europe business ramping up very strongly. Australia, Latin America also ramping up very strongly. Enphase is going to try to help bridge the pain for the next six months plus potentially with a new share repurchase program. They repurchased 200 million worth of stock to finish off their 500 million repurchase program that was announced last year. The new one is worth $1 billion. So they've doubled 
the cash return to shareholders. This is probably not a stock we're going to buy again immediately. There could be some downward pressure on this stock after this earnings report because ultimately earnings per share are going to fall. And this is not a cheap stock. This business has to grow into its valuation and it's not going to grow into its valuation for the next two quarters, maybe three or four quarters. It's going to do the opposite. We're going to exercise some patience after taking our first nibble. But if you're interested in learning more about the business, we'll link up the video we did early this year with Travis Wyam here on our channel. And just keep this one on your radar. We think the solar market still has a lot of potential. Enphase looks like it has emerged as an actual viable business model. It's profitable. And so just keep an eye on it at this point through the second half of 2023. It's on watch for us. Thanks for watching today, everyone. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and the bell for notifications. We have AMD and Lattice Semiconductor this week, amongst many others. So we'll make sure we'll get those videos out to you as soon as we can. Everyone have a great day. We'll see you soon here at Chipstock Investor.